Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. Jenny Beth Martin is the leader of the Tea Party Patriots. For those who cherish freedom, as I do, Jenny Beth is a true American hero. For the last 10 years, she has been a leader in the fight for fiscal responsibility, free market principles, and limited constitutional government. Her network reaches millions of Americans every week with education and action items to impact our public policy fights. Jenny Beth is a frequent guest on almost every major television, radio, print, and online news outlet in America. She's a lifelong Georgian and has a bachelor's degree from the University of Georgia. Jenny Beth? Oh, it's so good to be with you. Yeah. Joining me to talk with Jenny Beth is Sarah Walton. Sarah attended Jenny Beth's very first Tea Party rally in Washington, D.C. Sarah, when we met, had impeccable progressive credentials. ABC Network News, Nightline, illustrating 30 covers for the New Republic, and art director of Harper's Magazine. Then she had a change of heart. We'll learn why later on in the show. Today we want to learn about Ginny Beth's story, the state of the Tea Party movement, some of today's critical policy issues, and what on earth is going on with the mania to impeach Donald Trump. Ginny Beth? Sarah, welcome, guys. Thank you. So, Jenny Beth, what led you to uh, to this point in life where you're leading uh, <laughs> leading a very important movement in America? Where did you, you get started? Um, I, it, it's hard to say exactly when I got got started. I've been active in paying attention to politics since I was a child, and I was programming computers. That's what my degree was in at the University of Georgia. So, I I did that professionally. But the whole time I was doing that, I was always volunteering on political well, your family, politics. Your family was very involved or very interested in politics, yes. and you had a lot of uh, dinner table conversations with your father and the rest of the family? I did. My dad, um, my dad is a Methodist minister, and so I grew up in a family that did a lot of volunteering and worked with a lot of volunteers. And when the Iran hostage, when Iran took American hostages, that was really a pivotal moment. I was only 1979. Yeah, I was nine years old, yeah. but I remember it. It was on the radio. It was on the news, and I asked my dad a particular question one day about Iran and Iraq. And he, he answered the question, but he treated me like such an adult, even though I was just a little kid, mm -hmm. he treated me like such an adult that it made me want to continue to pay attention to news and politics. And from the moment he did that, I, I've never looked back. And you were a systems analyst or a programmer? I was, my major was management information systems. So I, I programmed and then became a project manager. And I worked for the Mead Corporation and the Home Depot. And you were working at Home Depot in 79 or 89 when, or when I'm trying to remember <laughs> way back when we got this started. Um, well, we got started in 2009 and I had left Home Depot by then and um, had gone through fertility treatments and had twins. So I, I was in a... They're now 16 years they're old. They're 16 years old now. So um, I, I had shifted out of doing project management and moved into different areas 
I thought it was going to be a stay-at-home mom, but life throws you some curveballs. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to talk about your travel schedule in a minute. Sarah, you had a change of heart. You didn't start out with a progressive or with a uh, conservative family. What, what brought you to the movement? Well, I have to say not a conservative family. My mother was a suburban Betty Friedan fan, and um, I saw the feminine mystique lying on the coffee table when I was in seventh grade, and I thought, oh, I'll read this. Maybe I'll know how to get boys to like me better. <laughs> <laughs> so I was always askew. But um, no, I was an art director, and there are three people in every magazine that read every single word. The editor-in-chief, the copy editor, and the art director. So for years, I was reading all this progressive um, intellectual stuff, and finally I thought, this stuff is crazy. It's, I was 36 years old, I was living in New York, I was divorced, and I thought, these ideas are not helping me live a happier life. So I began to rethink things. And one of our themes about what we believe is we think our ideas make people happy, they're moral, and they work. And you know, I think that's kind of what led us to, to where we are today, where we think you are so fantastic. So yeah. let's go back to when the Tea Party got started. What, uh, what was the trigger? Um, what really was the, I would say that the biggest trigger was the TARP bill in 2008, before the election happened in 2008. Uh, TARP, TARP's the bailout bill. Yes. Yeah. And um, Senator McCain put his presidential campaign on hold to go back to the Senate and vote in favor of TARP, and he voted the exact same way that then-Senator Obama voted. And people were looking at that going, what's going to exactly be the difference in the two? And um, where I lived, in the area of Georgia where I live, people actually started cutting off the McCain part of their bumper stickers and just putting Palin on their car. <laughs> and um, then you fast forward a few months and Barack Obama becomes President Obama, and then he and the Democrat-controlled Congress passed the stimulus bill. And people were going, wait, we've We've had bailouts and bailouts, and now we've got a stimulus bill, and it's just more and more government spending and a bigger, bloated, more bloated government. And this would have been in the summer of 2009? It was in. It was one of the very first things he did, so it was yeah. in February of 2009. And uh, Rick Santelli, on the floor of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, had a, a rant on CNBC, and he was complaining about the stimulus mm -hmm. bill. He said that our founding fathers would be turning over in their graves, and we should have a tea party just like they did. And that kind of was the spark that went around the world or the rant that went around the world. I heard the rant in my car and uh, I said, I have to do something about this. And I was already active on Twitter and involved in a couple of online organizations, including Smart Girl po Politics and Top Conservatives on Twitter. And through those groups, Michael Patrick Leahy organized a conference call through Twitter we got on a conference call on freeconference.com. There were about 22, 23 of us. We said, we're going to have a tea party. This was a day after his rant on a Friday night. And um, the following week, we had 48 tea parties around the country with 35,000 people in attendance total. And that's one of the well ones done. you went to. Yeah, that, I went to one of the first ones. I saw the rant on TV. It was exhilarating. I decided I have to go. You know, we lived close to where it was going to be in D.C., and it was one of the most exciting days ever. And when I heard you were going to be on the show, I, it just brought back all those memories. And um, Bill told me that you said a lot of people thought the first one was just 
an amazing, amazing experience. So you're a hero to me. Well, thank you. I, I it's it's odd when people say that I'm a hero because I just think I'm I'm just a mom. I'm just a, a person who responded to the call and I had the right skill set uh, to be able to do that. But I it's it's important. Our country's future is so important. And a lot of people didn't have the right skill set. There were a lot of people once it started who were vying to get to be the head of the Tea Party. And you can see, you know, you need to have the whole package. I mean, well, I think it's interesting, your background in systems management. I see that we, we've worked together, and it really right. shows up in the way you organize the, your, your, your people. you got a very systematic way of doing it. Things happen, they happen on time, and you gather a very complex uh, organization and, and get it marching, marching more or less in one direction. Yeah, I it, I think that that really had a lot to do with it. And the pro the project management training that I got really helped, especially in those very first days. A lot of what we do now, we know how to do it. But in the first days, trying to figure out what we were doing and, and create a system was uh, very challenging, to say the least. You're watching The Bill Walton Show, and I'm here with Jenny Beth Martin and Sarah Walton, and we're talking about the foundation the beginnings of the Tea Party and uh, what it meant to people uh, to be there at the time when this great thing was happening. So what were the emotions that pe other people had? Well, let me um, take a step back. In that rant that Rick Santelli had, he talked about how people would, um, he asked the people standing behind him, who here wants to pay for your neighbor's home who has more bathrooms than you and can no longer afford their home? And the people behind him were going, boo, boo, no, no. Well, that is Part of the reason why I felt like I had to do something and had to get involved. And it was because um, at the time in 2008, my then husband and I went through financial crisis and we lost personal financial crisis. He had to close his business. We wound up filing personal bankruptcy. We lost our house. We lost our cars. We lost ev everything. Um, and instead of taking a bailout from the government to stay in a house we could no longer afford. You were offered a federal loan. We were. And I'm pretty sure it was from TARP or from the earlier bailout yeah. a little bit earlier in 2008. It was a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac type loan um, that would have brought us current in our mortgage. And then we would have paid a little bit each month. And who in their right mind offers someone who just came out of bankruptcy a loan? It, only the federal government would be crazy enough to do that. And we just decided we couldn't afford it, and we were opposed to those bills as they were going through Congress, and we couldn't take that money. So we didn't. And instead, we were cleaning our neighbors' homes, cleaning their bathrooms, instead of them paying for bathrooms we could no longer afford. Um, when we did that and made that decision, it was deeply personal, and it was not something that we thought we'd be sharing with the whole entire world. Yeah. But um, I think that that's part of what we were looking at is all these these bailouts were going on, people saw their neighbors losing their homes and the government just getting bigger and bigger and deciding that some businesses were too big to fail while small businesses around the country were failing and struggling. Um, it just, there was something unjust and not right about it. And, and people were angry. Yeah, would, would the not taking federal money, that we did that. We, our, our, our company didn't take federal money. From the and, same programs, right? And it was right? painful. Right. Not take it was. Uh, well, tea the, party, though. The, the ahead, government sorry. should decide from afar who deserves the money and who doesn't. How do they know? Well, everybody deserved you know. it. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the Tea Party 
people think it's named taxed enough already, it's about taxes. It's not just about taxes. It's about much more than that. Yeah, when it, it that rant that Santelli had was not about taxes. It was about the government spending too much and doing things it shouldn't have been doing. And, of course, taxes, we don't want excessive taxes, and we know tax cuts will lead to economic growth, but we also were concerned about a, a government that was outside the bounds of the Constitution. Mm -hmm. Now, let's fast forward to today. And what's the Tea Party look like now? And who are your allies in bringing about these uh, these things we want to bring about? Well, we have um, over 2 million supporters. We have um, uh, over a million and a half fans on Facebook. We have uh, uh, 1.2 million mailing addresses, an email list that's over 600,000, a phone list that's over 400,000. So we have a very large reach. And then we have local groups around the country. We meet with the local leaders from around the country every Sunday night on a webinar, or at least every Sunday night that Congress is in session on a webinar. And then we um, coalesce with other groups within the conservative movement. And some of our best coalition partners are Freedom Works, who does a lot of the same kind of things yeah, that, Adam that we do. Adam yeah. Brandon, um, Dave McIntosh at Club, Club for Growth. When we're, especially when we're our super PAC is engaged, we we they do a lot of ads. We do a lot of grassroots activities. So we kind of work hand and glove together. Uh, Brent Bozell has been one of my biggest mentors. Yeah, media Research Center yeah, for Yeah, Media America. Research Center. Yeah. He's never looked at me as, I mean, we might be friendly competition in some ways, although we do different things, but he's he's always there to answer questions and to help me out. He's never acted jealous in any any way of anyone in the movement. And I, I respect him so much. And I think you also work with Penny Nance at Concerned Ye Women. Yes, um, we did. We've worked with her, especially with um, the Gorsuch confirmation and the Kavanaugh confirmation. And she's just she is a, just this amazing woman who is leading other conservative women around the country and on college campuses. Well, the thing that I admire so much is everybody's competing for donor dollars. And yet when it comes to issues, you all work together like there's no, uh, no, no nothing else that matters except that issue. Yeah. Yes, that's it, exactly, exactly right. Um, we because we're all focused on the same end goal. And I think I kind of see it as we're all part of this big pie. And each of us has a little we take a little slice of it and we do our part. And together we we make a, a whole and it, if you miss one or two of those components, you're you're missing, you're missing the well, whole. Well, your your key, mission statement life. is is uh, lovely. It's the Tea Party Patriots' mission is to equip Americans with resources and training they need to be engaged citizens and effective activists. Our vision is for a nation where individual liberty is cherished and maximized, where the Constitution is revered and upheld, and where Americans are free to pursue their American dream. It, I don't know. I don't know how you. I don't know what's not to like about that. I, I hope that it's something that people who don't understand what the Tea Party movement is about can understand. Well, it this gets characterized in, as, you know, the Tea Party, a bunch of these, you know, alt-right crazy people. And it brings us back to the faces of the people in the Tea right. Party rallies. I mean, That's what, what, I what, what did that crowd look like? I couldn't believe the difference between what the crowd was and how it was portrayed in the media, the whole media, all of it. My recollection of it, it was a lot of middle-class, middle-aged white women, some, you know, men, but heavily women, 
who were there because they were worried about their children's future. The Tea right? Party movement is, yeah. a, what, 60, 65% women? I, I think it is. I mean, yeah. most of the the people are are women who we interact with. There are men, of course, um, but it really it's it's moms. It's moms. it really is moms who are worried about what's going to be and, there for their children. And the tone was not angry protest. The tone was was being positive, saying, "What can we do to keep everything on track so our kids can have as good a life as we've had?" And you our know. producer Les Hines, this this was really the beginning of fake news. Because when they would go to photo, he was at a rally, mm-hmm. and you had all the people you just described, and you had one guy over in a commando outfit looking pretty, pretty uh, scary. And so, what's everybody do with the cameras? They go over to this one guy and, and make him the face of the uh, the movement. Right. And it was utterly not representative. Yeah, um, that is exactly right, and it was, it just. Was a problem, and and then on top of that, at one point, progressive groups were sending out emails suggesting that progressives should go and infiltrate Tea Party events with yeah. bad signs to to make us look bad, which was not smart on their their part because while it, it you can wind up with footage that that might make your opposition look bad, there's also documentation that you were trying to do that, so it calls into question any bad bad message. But, but we call people out. If they've done the wrong thing and they're standing at our event, we'll tell them to remove their sign. And we did that from the very beginning. We've tried to stay on message. You know, yeah. when there's a huge crowd, there's only so much you can do. Well, well, but it's a small thing, but it's, it's a symbolic important in that if you go to the, one of the rallies, and we're here in Washington, Washington area, and after the rally's over, usually it may, requires massive amounts of uh, sanitation workers to clean things up. After a Tea Party rally... It was clean as a whistle. It's cleaner than left. it was before. <laughs> <laughs> well, After all, there are women cleaning up. We <laughs> <laughs> were tidying up. <laughs> yeah, tidying. Right. So, so what are the activities? You've got, you send out a weekly featured action item yes. to, to everybody, and you've got newsletters, and um, you have training manuals, and you have ways to contact your congressman. You help people design scripts. You give n- phone numbers for all of the congressmen and senators so people can... They're congressman's favorite thing, getting a phone call from a from an activist, but uh, it's necessary. It is necessary. And um, in recent weeks, we've had people showing up at congressional offices. We've filmed some of those to, to show people what happens and how some of the liberal Democrats don't actually want to even let their constituents in the office at all. But um, we, we provide these resources and tools so people can go and talk to their own member of Congress. We're not... We're a, we are a grassroots lobbying group. That means you equip the grassroots and then they make the phone calls to their own members of Congress. It's very rare that I'm going and advocating for our, our issues individually to members of Congress. Well, you're not top down. You're bottom up. It's very strange, but we are. <laughs> and that can be difficult because very often the level of sophistication and insight into what's really going on isn't out there. But on the other hand, you know what people are really feeling. And what they really care about, and where we where we ought to have a consensus, right? And so we we are bottom up, and what that means, in practically speaking, is that we will on our webinars that I mentioned that we have every Sunday night with our local leaders, we um, we make sure that we are telling them what's happening in Washington D.C. We give them a very thorough update about what's happening, and then when there's an issue that we think we need to take a stand on. 
we discuss the issue, answer questions, kind of debate it, and then we'll vote whether we're going to support it or not hmm. as an organization. So we give them the information they need so they can make an informed decision. Uh, you're watching The Bill Walton Show. I'm here with Jenny Beth Martin and Sarah Walton, and we're talking about the Tea Party and how it's organized and uh, just all sort of good things that they're doing together. Uh, so, Jenny Beth, to, to what extent is the story of the Tea Party the story of the Trump voter? I remember back in, when we were working together in 2016, we were really more of Cruz people than we were Trump people, and we kind of got towards Trump uh, gradually. Yes, it was, a, um, it was gradual. I, Senator Ted Cruz had fought alongside of us from 2013 on, from the moment really he became a senator. And he um, is a strong advocate for constitutional principles. What happened, though, as the primary moved through in 2016, Cruz did not win. It was, I think, a, a, that the Republican primary voters across the country sent a very strong message in the primary when you looked and you saw that the final two people in the primary were Ted Cruz and Donald Trump. It was not an establishment person. Mm -hmm. It wasn't someone who had been engaged in politics in Washington, D.C. forever. And um, it, it really, in some respects, were, was two outsiders or an outsider and a very new person to Washington politics. And uh, what Donald Trump did that I think appealed to people even when we still were supporting Ted Cruz is that he showed people he was willing to fight and to stand for yeah. their values. And he was not afraid of it. And he wasn't going to back down. And he wasn't going to cower. And um, as, the as the primary went to the general election, before even the debates in the general election, we, had, we knew we were supporting him. We had endorsed him and began working. But during those, I remember watching him in one debate with Hillary Clinton. And uh, the abortion pro-life issue is not one of our our issues that we focus on. But he had this moment in a debate where he gave the most impassioned uh, stance about pro-life. And he was more pro-life and he talked about it without any shame whatsoever in a way that I didn't even see George W. Bush do. He didn't back down from it. And I remember in that moment thinking, He's not going to go. He's not going to go from being really strong, a strong advocate for issues on the right, and go to the middle to try to reach moderate voters. He's going to stay true to who he is and show there is a real contrast in the the two candidates. And he's done that throughout his entire presidency, much to the dismay of the Washington establishment. Yeah, they, there was real fear he was actually some sort of New York moderate. Well, well there was the Washington sure. establishment never supported the Tea Party in the beginning. That's true. That's what was so shocking to me. I thought, how great for them. You know, career politicians, they have this army now working for them. And they neither side really wanted them. It was amazing. It was right. amazing. <laughs> right. Well, certainly Speaker Pelosi did not, not want us when she was Speaker of the House. And then the Republicans gained control. And we saw that even when the Republicans gained control, Speaker Boehner wasn't real... Um, Neither Boehner nor, nor uh, Paul Ryan. They've had their thing fixed. They don't need your help, thank you. They're elected. Right. You know. And they knew how to do it. Mm -hmm. And, and to, their, to their credit, they definitely are politicians who are able to become the Speaker of the House, and you have to be very politically savvy to be able to do that. Well, but that, they just didn't yeah, understand that, the tone. That, that, that's the thing it's easy to overlook. You, you, you get elected senator, and you have to raise all this money. 
and you got to go through incredible ordeal to, to get elected, usually. And you've got to make all sorts of personal sacrifices. And you get elected on what you told people, you know, more or less you were going to do. And then uh, you're in office. And then we come in and explain, no, you got it all wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. You got it all do wrong. Do it our way. You've got, really? you got to stand on, on this principle. And very often they're saying, well, if I stand on that principle, I'm not going to get reelected. And that's that's sort of the dynamic between the activist and the and the politician. Well, um, from the moment that they get become elected as incoming freshmen, they wind up going through orientation and training, and they're brought to D.C. very very quickly, and they get staff. And the staff is usually people who've been in Washington for a long time, and those people all start whispering in their ears about the way they need to do things. Well, and people talk about term limits. We need term limits for the staff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think that that's one thing that uh, the Trump presidency has shown us is that we need we need term limits for the bureaucracy, for the congressional staff and for the people who work in the within the executive branches. Well, well, I asked Mick Mulvaney about the changes they were making in the regulatory state. And they are doing some good things with the orders and, and changing changing some of that. But he said this is unbelievably hard to do because we don't have any ability to fire anybody. And the, the, the civil service laws are, are such that they're protected and they can do anything they want pretty much and they can resist you and they're going to wait till you uh, go back to New York. Right. And, the, you know, the amazing thing about what you just said, civil service, they're supposed to be public servants. They're not, but they're not. They're, they're employees. They're government employees. And they have the attitude of being an employee who knows more than anyone else about whatever it is that they're doing. They don't have the attitude of, we're here to serve the public. Well, we had first started out, and I was right there with you on this, that Congress was the problem, the elected officials were the problem, and I was involved in something called the 2010 Commitment to America. And it was, it was a really sterling list of 10 things we wanted Congress to do that right. once elected they would do, like something very unusual, like have the same health care we do. <laughs> well, that didn't happen. So anyway, no, not at all. Ten years later, none of that's happened. But I'm, I'm increasingly thinking the problem is not necessarily just the elected people because there's no budget. They're not passing bills. Nothing's happening. I think it's in the administrative state, the bureaucracy. Yes. Has the Tea Party shifted its uh, its its guns towards the the permanent ruling class, or is it still focused on Congress? I think that the Tea Party realizes that there is a, a very real issue on the permanent ruling class. Yeah. Um, and we we have been exposed to that over the years, but it it just it's it's been highlighted so much in the the Trump presidency. But the fact is, we were exposed to it because the IRS targeted. Tea Party groups, groups with Tea Party and Patriots in their name, were um, held up when they were applying for tax exempt status for their 501c3 and 501c4s. Ah, uh, yes. Lois Lerner. Who can forget? Lois Lerner. And that was, for us, a lot of people in the Tea Party movement, the beginnings of realizing there's a real problem with people who work for the... It what we believe. It did. But yeah. couldn't prove. And she went to Congress and tested gave an opening statement, so she opened herself up to testimony, and then she said, I'm taking the fifth, and... And, and that was just fine with right. everybody. And not the, everybody, but everybody in Congress. They, they allowed that to happen. Yeah. The Democrats, it's not like they were calling for Lois Lerner to get back in there and testify, and then they're so shocked that President Trump is um, 
exercising his executive privilege authority. And they're shocked by that. And I, I just sit there and think, President Obama did not even exercise executive privilege authority over Lois Lerner, and you guys let her off. So what? Yeah. I, I, I the hypocrisy is is startling. Where is the IRS now? Have they have they gotten out of the business of? Uh... <laughs> you know, I I never quite know. It's the IRS. So you always worry about the IRS. But we they did. Why we were involved in a class we action. Worry, we all worry about. The IRS. Right. Everyone does. <laughs> so um, we, we were involved with a, in a class action suit with them that the NorCal Tea Party Group uh, launched. Yeah. And um, they eventually settled while Attorney, Attorney General Jeff Sessions was Attorney General. And each group got a small, a very small amount of money from, from the settlement. It it was none of us really wanted money from the government. We weren't in it to get money from the government. You didn't want the government to take sides. Right. We just wanted yeah. and what we got, the biggest thing that we got out of the settlement is that they admitted they admitted they had to they did something wrong and they had to pay for it. and And that was the biggest and they're the biggest changing thing. the rules for you. Yeah, they did. They changed the rules for us. and they didn't write the rules down. and you don't know you didn't. It's hard to obey the rules when they're not written down and they change from group to group or person to person. Has that stabilized? Has anybody, has the new administrator done anything about that or just kind of there? It just sort of um, settled and we did get our status approved. Yeah. Um, But it's just one of those things where it's all, it it will never go away. It's always in the back of your mind. But there's still the fear that if there's a change in administration that that old what monster is going to come back to haunt us? Yes, that is that is there. I think that the bigger thing is that it. Then we've watched everything that's happened under the under with President Trump as president, yeah. and what's happened with bureaucrats towards him and his administration. And to many of us in the Tea Party, we just go, we're not surprised by this. If the IRS got away with it, then of course these other people are going to get away with it. One of the things that you have that most of us in the Washington circuit don't have is you're talking directly with America every day, you know, thousands of people. And we're here and it's, uh, where are we, October 2019, and we're going through a Trump impeachment, which I want to get to. How are people feeling? I mean, what's the, what's, what, and we, I asked you whether the Tea Party people become the Trump people. I think they have. How are people right. feeling? Um, they're they feel, I think that they feel very betrayed by the people, by the radical leftist mm-hmm. in power. And uh, they watch what's happened with President Trump, um, with people who, the abuse of the FISA court from before he even became president. And it has has continued. And it, uh, the Mueller report came back and showed that he was not actually yeah. colluding with Russia. So that whole entire narrative for two years fell apart. And now we're um, dealing with a phone call where he released a whole transcript of the phone call. We've got we know what happened. And they've got this whole charade behind closed doors. They're, they're changing the, the rules for impeachment. You know, they're not written down very much like the IRS. The idea they're going to have an impeachment behind closed doors is so shocking in America. It's how can we get away? You know, how can they get away with that? You know, I forgot you. I wanted you to tell the story about AEI 
and you explaining to what we kind of oh, jumped yeah. ahead of it, but you, she had a very good story. Right about after the tea party, Bill was a um, trustee of the American Enterprise Institute. And we were up at this amazing place, Camp Top Ridge, which was Mar Margie Merriweather Post's old camp in the Adirondacks, which in itself was amazing. And the, the trustees were doing something and the wives had another meeting. And so I was with Lynn Cheney and James Q. Wilson's wife, the great um, intellectual scholar, I think her name was Jane, and they thought the Tea Party people were all wingnuts. And I explained to them, no, I was just there at the Tea Party. It was amazing. They were stunned. And then Mrs. Wilson got her husband, and he was, I had his ear. This is the top intellectual in America, and I'm telling him, and he was so fascinated because he thought the Tea Party were crazy people because that's what you'd get from the from, media. From the mainstream news. Yeah. And that's what uh, people, what the mainstream media now is doing to, to President Trump. They are trying to paint him as as a wingnut crazy yeah. person. And it, we just sit there watching it going, yeah, it's, it's, it's SOP, it's standard operating procedure. The things that are happening to him... So much of it happened to us that it makes us want to defend him because we wanted people to defend us when these things were happening to us. And at least he's not backing down. He, you know, oh. he's trying to defend himself. We had a, a friend, an acquaintance, come out and stay with us in the country, and he'd heard that Bill had worked on the transition. He didn't. He never saw the, Trump. The Trump but transition. Tr Trump transition, and he said, "Are you racist?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're 62 million racists, white supremacists. 63, know. yeah. 63. I, but it was incredible. I, I was on a plane with somebody, um, and this man, he found out what I did. I, I don't normally get into that on, on airplanes because of this very experience, but I, I told him, and he started yelling. I mean, he <laughs> I actually raised his voice. He told me I was racist, homophobic, and that he had talked to a psychologist about women like me and she told him that I was a woman who hated women yep. and I'm like you don't even know me and finally just said you are the most prejudicial sexist person that I have come in contact with in the past year and he said what and I said you're prejudging me you've never met me before today yet you have all of these preconceived notions about me that's that's prejudiced and you're talking about me because I am a woman you're talking about me judging me Simply because I'm a woman, that's sexist. And he's he sat back, and he just said, um, I think you might be right. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am. Why don't you go look us up and see what we actually do? Read our mission statement on our website. And he wound up sending an email to me later, which I did not respond to. But he did send an email, and he said, I read your website, and you're right. I, I, was, I didn't know what you do. But it, it's the same kind of attitude. Yeah. So you're watching the Bill Walton Show. I'm here with Jenny Beth Martin and Sarah Walton. And we're learning about uh, the passion of Jenny Beth Martin <laughs> and the advocacy for the truth and how fantastic and you fairness. are. Thank <laughs> and fairness. Thank you. fairness. <laughs> the basic thing about the Tea Party is fairness for all. Yeah. Right. You the know. core principles, personal freedom, economic freedom. Uh, we don't want $23 trillion of debt. I mean, these are... These are pretty mom and apple pie things, but right. I guess mom and apple pie under attack. It it is, and we still have a problem with the the debt. I I don't think you can attack the debt until you attack the fact that we're not living within the cons. We're not living. The government's just too big. It's out of 
it is out of control. It is so large. And until you bring those government programs back closer to being in line with the Constitution and you reduce that regulatory state, if you cannot do that, you're not going to be able to reduce the debt because the spending is there to And to we're not going to grow our way out of it. And it's the problems. only business no. where no one can ever be fired or ever be let go. So it's just... And no program ever disappears. No. And we do have to grow, but the, econ the economy is growing. There are more revenues coming in today than, than before and, and before the tax cut. So we have a tax cut. The economy is growing. There are more revenues coming into the government, but we're still spending too much because we haven't cut spending. It's not the, it's the spending. It is the spending. It's the spending. But the, but the spending is mostly uh, entitlement spending, and it's very hard to get into that, that, that wiki, that, 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 that thicket. And if we don't get into it and people don't acknowledge that we've got a problem with it, yeah. then it, it will be a midnight deal right before we go completely bankrupt, and that's when very bad deals happen, and that will happen in the next 8 to 10 years. I have a hope. You can't touch it as a politician if you want to be reelected. Right. But when Trump wins, he could actually do something about entitlements. He could, and I, um, I would, I would love for him to say, make a campaign promise that in his second term he will address the deficit, and because he he likes to keep his promises, and he I does want keep him to, promises. to. If you can get him to do that. Yeah, I, that's something that I I that want him to do, <laughs> because be I, and you're right, you can't do it if you're up for re-election. It's something that has to happen really once you're you're past worrying about being reelected. Yeah. Well, that's what I think the impeachment is about. They're really afraid he's going to win. So let's just get him out of there before these crazy 63 million And I want to get into impeachment him. as our <clears throat> sort of final big topic. But before we do that, we talked about racism. Let's talk about immigration and how this is not about race. This is about something else altogether. Yeah, it, it honestly, it really just goes right back to this whole concept of the rule of law in our country. We have laws, we're, we have borders, and the for so long, the uh, border laws were not enforced. And we wound up with people who are coming to this country illegally, and and they were not, they were not being, they were actually being given special privileges because they were here illegally, which isn't fair or right to the people who went through the legal process. They were getting to break in line in front of people who went through the legal process and had to spend um, thousands of dollars on attorneys and wait years before they could move, move through the process. So we just think that we have to get our, our border security under control. And President Trump has been working on that. We've got judges who have made that very, very difficult to do. But he's he's working on it so what would what would your dream immigration reform look like what are the what are the elements um i first it's securing the border first and foremost it is securing the border and that would be a wall uh, along the southern border where a wall is needed there are some areas where you don't actually have to have a wall you can have electronic surveillance because the uh, topography uh, in geography of the land, it's just, it's land that you cannot survive on. You can't walk through it because there's no water. You can't drive through well, you it. Spent, you've been down there. I've been down there. How many there. times have you been to the border? Gosh, I don't even know. Probably over 12 times at this point since 2014. So what's that like? 
it's the first time that I went down, I realized that in some parts of it, it almost seems like you're, it's images that you see almost of a war zone in, in other countries. And then other parts, it just looks like a very uh, busy area. So it, it sort of just depends. But the, car, the drug cartels have just, they've manipulated our border patrol. So they'll have a surge of people coming in in one area and border patrol has to deal with that. And because they're dealing with that, uh, the cartels can run drugs through another area. And it, it yeah, Ken Cuccinelli was talking about the cartels have got spotters sitting on mountaintops guiding people to this opening or that opening. Right. They do. And even on top of bu buildings in Mexico, in some places, it just sort of depends on what, it, what it's like in the, in the area of the border. I, when I first went down and I, I we've talked to sheriffs, we've talked to border patrol, we've talked to um, ICE officers. We, I just, I've learned so much. The very first time that I went down, some of the things that I learned, I realized we couldn't even come back and talk about to our fellow Americans because we would seem crazy. And yet because President Trump- For, has for made, example? Well, the human trafficking and okay. the sex trafficking. Uh, Americans don't wanna know that because we have not enforced our, our border uh, the way that we're supposed to, it's created lawlessness. So these people who run cartels, they found ways to smuggle smuggle humans through or to, to get money for sending the, the people through. Or in some cases, there's sex trafficking going on. Mm -hmm. And we don't... We think we live in a free society, so we don't want to think that that is actually happening in America today. And one of the things that I respect so much about Donald Trump as candidate and President Trump as president is that he he made this the number one issue from the moment he walked down that escalator. From when he came down, he talked about how he wanted to secure the border. And because he's done that, we've been able to to shine light and to see that there really are very real problems going on on our border. So step one, the border. Secure the border. Step two. Step two would be to change the uh, the le the immigration process for allowing legal people to come into the country legally. I like some of the things that I've heard from the administration. The president had a, a speech in the Rose Garden. Part of what he said is he wants to have people reward people based on merit and not just have chain migration. So you can come, you have the ability to come to this country if you are are smart and able to work and are able to learn so the language. So speaking of things like education, financial situation, job skills, sort of right. kind of people that would be pretty good Americans. Right, exactly. And people who want to um, to become Americans, to to be part of our culture and our society. I, I think that's very, very important. The, the, the point needs to be made that the conservative, we're not against immigration. No. I mean, it's, not a, it's not like we're shutting the country down and we're just going to keep it to ourselves. It's, we're for legal immigration. We're, yes, exactly. And we want, yes. Yeah, so we live in the most beautiful county. There are only 7,000 people. There's gorgeous, gorgeous scenery. And they have the bin here's and the come here's. The bin here's were people who, when they were building the national parks, were thrown out of their houses. They were settled in the valley. The government went back and burned down their houses so they couldn't return. And those people say, what about me? I don't have good education here. I don't have good health care. They all can go to a doctor and get disability and never work again. But people don't want to do that. 
And they're wondering, why am I worrying about housing people at the border and health care for these people when my family's been here for 200 years and we've been treated badly? Yeah, yeah it's, it's a real problem when, when you've got people who are coming here illegally yeah. and um, lying to try to get asylum status. And, and I'm not saying every single person is lying, but there are people who are. And, um, it, and then you look at the, there are Americans who are here going, wait, I, I'm a citizen. Yeah. I've been what paying taxes. What yeah, about, there, there's, about There's certainly me? two separate standards. There are. I, and we, at some point as a country, we'll have to figure out what are we going to do with the people who are already in the country who have entered so illegally. So that's step three? I think it's step three. I think that you're not going to be able to, to deal with that problem until you prove that you can secure the border and enforce the current laws. I just, because there's no trust between, between the citizens and the elected officials. And it's simple to know you can't let everybody in the world in and give them good health care. You don't have to be very bright to figure, how do you do that? How do you even build enough hospitals? You're watching The Bill Walton Show, and I'm here with Jenny Beth Martin and Sarah Walton, and we're talking about sensible immigration reform. Jenny Beth, what would step three? Borders, what step one, step two, get, get things said about who we want to bring in. Three, we have an illegal population here. I, I think at that point, I, I, we will have to have a, a conversation as a country. I don't know what the exact answer is for that. Um, I, I am very much against granting amnesty to people who entered the country illegally. And yet there are people in America who think amnesty is okay. Um, so I, I think that it, we're not at a point where we can solve that problem because we can't even secure the border. And that has to be done first. And after that happens, as a country, we're going to have to make that decision. I, I just, I don't think that if the very first action that you took upon entering our country was one that was breaking our laws, I, I don't think that should be rewarded or just you get a free pass for breaking that law. What and about if you, the other laws? Well, yeah. And if you do that, then why don't I get a pass when I speed? Should I be given a speeding ticket? You know, I mean, at some point, that's what happens in a lawless... Well, we have to, well you talk about constitutional right. limited government. We're all subject to the same laws and, and uh, should obey, you know, that's that's the deal. Right. And these people are leaving lawless societies and they want to come here for a, a better a, a better future. But yeah. if if we become lawless, then we're no better. Our country will be no better than what, what they tried to escape. And then we can't be the, the beacon for the world for freedom. The... Uh, the, and Sarah, you point out that I mean, if you if if we're going to have complete, if we're going to have universal health care for all, and we have no borders, this this is not exactly. sustainable. <laughs> right. Well, and then at what point does it does it end? If there are no borders, and if yeah. it, it doesn't end we, well, yeah, are we supposed to be responsible for the entire world? And who's going to want to be a doctor? I mean, that. Well, there's that. So. Uh, the how do you you your bottoms up? How are people feeling about that? That you talk to the people. I mean, you're a very sensible, pragmatic. You understand how the policy works in Washington. How are people feeling about immigration? Well, um, I think that what they they are feeling is well, two different things. 
the the grassroots people are involved and understand there's an issue on with the border they're they're very frustrated that the courts keep issuing these injunctions a court in hawaii or san francisco can in, issue an injunction and uh basically nullify a law for the whole entire country and then it, you have to wait until it goes before the supreme court for a final decision to come in so there's a lot of frustration with that there are some people who are looking at the propaganda from the media, the fake news, and they're going, oh, look, look at the, what's happening to these children. And, and they're, they're hearing, they're not paying attention to the fact that these are people coming into our country. They're not trying to escape. They can walk right out the door and leave and go back to their other country. It's not like we're holding them there forever, um, in, uh, which is what AOC we're not, we're not and East others, Berlin. Yeah, we are not East Berlin. They can leave if they <laughs> yeah. they want to. I mean, it's a matter of processing them. If you walk through an airport, if I were talking to, say, another suburban mom and they were complaining about that, I'd say, have you been on a cruise? Because so many people will go on, especially in Atlanta, a lot of people go on cruises at some point with their mm -hmm. kids. Have you been on a cruise? Uh, did you have to have a passport? Did your kids have to have a passport? When you came back in, did you have to go through customs? Why should people coming in through the southern border be any different than the people coming in through airports and 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 docks? Why is it any different? So, so, the, so the unfairness issue. It, we it, pl we're playing by the rules. They're not. Yes. And they're being they're giving special right. Special and, and then the other thing that I would point out is, do you, is there a drug problem in your area? Is there a drug problem in your children's high school? Which the answer is almost always yes. Well, that gets into sanctuary cities. It, it does. And the problems in Montgomery County, Maryland, I mean, it's, it's, it's egregious. Right. They won't cooperate with, uh, what is it, uh, IS, ISIS or? Uh, with ICE. ICE. ICE, not ISIS, ISIS but ICE. Like, there's so many acronyms in this world of policy. But okay, right. so ICE. Yeah, they won't cooperate. They won't report people who need to be. They are cooperating with ISIS. Yeah, right. <laughs> they, they, won't, they won't report people who need to be deported. And yeah. then you wind up with people who... Um, they're not deporting people who actually are, some of them, they're not reporting, and they're violent criminals who are going back. And later, um, I believe in Oklahoma, in recent weeks, the local law enforcement did not report someone who needed to be deported. The man went back to a person who he was accused of raping. He immediately went back to her house and and was harming her. And I'm... It's not kind. It, it it's why laws, the rule of law matters. It and this works really well going into a discussion about impeachment. Let's go. To, let's 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 go to impeachment. The rule of law matters, and what we're seeing right now um, with the Democrats, they they don't they don't respect the fact that President Trump won the election. They don't um, they don't respect the Electoral College. And they've said from pretty much the moment that they realized he was going to become president, that they were going to resist him at all cost. Hillary Clinton could not admit that she was defeated on election night. Uh, within a week of him being elected, there were um, protests against his election. And within a week of him being elected, there were people who were already calling for his impeachment. And so we are... They thought they were going to be able to do something with Russia collusion. They could not. They thought they would be able to do something when Mueller testified. They could not because the testimony was just awful. Well, here's a headline from January 2017, Washington Post. The campaign to impeach President Trump has begun. Huh. 
Yeah. Inauguration day. Right. I was going to say, I think that is on January 20th. Yes. Yeah. Inauguration day. The moment he is being sworn in, they are, are even before that, they were resisting him and Antifa was involved. So this is what involved. the old Soviet uh, Stasis did, where they served. Maybe that's East German Stasis. You find them. You find the man, I'll find the crime. Right. And so we've got the man identified, Trump, and they're going to find the crime. Right. So you filed a complaint uh, with the uh, Congressional Ethics Office about uh, Schiff. Yes. Oh, good for I, you. Um, <laughs> what we are seeing from Congressman Adam Schiff is just, just wrong. And we decided we had to, we had to take a stand. And at the very least, we are documenting that there are American citizens who think what he has done is wrong. You've got Congressman Andy Biggs, who's called for his, cen for his censure. The reason for it are, there are three different reasons. One is that he lied about um, he and his staff having been in contact with the whistleblower. They actually were in contact before the whistleblower began filing whistleblower complaints. And it, it appears that they guided the whistleblower. They didn't just... Um, they, it wasn't something that they just heard about from from the whistleblower complaint being filed. They helped make that he's happen. Been, he's been engineering this from so, the yes. get-go. He's been engineering it, or his staff has been engineering it. It's a and little he's, bit like the Kavanaugh deal. Isn't right. he from Hollywood? Isn't he the representative? Yes. Yeah, he represents, yeah, he represents Hollywood. He yeah. represents so the whole put right. the, show. the movie yeah. industry. Movie, yeah. Then you have um, the... He, I, I'm missing one of the the three things. It's a, it's okay. I've got it he's, right here. I can tell you what you. Mm -hmm. He, he's got a. Uh, let's see. He also has uh, sought damaging information from Ukraine. Oh, yes. He. <laughs> so he has been dealing with the Ukrainians. Right. He he has, but um, it he also um. He lied in his testimony in the opening statement. Remember that Pelosi oh, he comes made it out, out, out whole and clock. she says, this is very serious. It's a sad time. This is as serious as Congress can be when you're dealing with impeachment. And so he has an opening statement before his committee, and he lies about what the president said on the phone call with the Ukrainian president. And later we're supposed to believe he tells us that's a parody. Yes, later, a Very few often, minutes later, after he was called out, he, he says it was a parody. Yeah. Now, now it, it's either sad and as serious as Congress can be, or he's lying. It, 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 it can't be that, and then you have a person who is the head of the committee who's doing the investigating, who is lying and then saying it's a parody. A parody isn't sad. A parody isn't serious, and lying, lying is serious, but it's not taking the process seriously. And 50, he's abusing his 51 power. 51%, according to a Gallup poll, say they favor impeachment. Do you believe polls? Um, I, I, I think that polls show, sometimes they show trends. I don't know right now many people who would hear a poll and would actually be very truthful, considering the I fact that... Who would answer a poll? I wouldn't. Look at what happened to you at a, yeah. when you heard when you said you were a part of a Tea Party person. I was yeah. yelled at by oh. a stranger in a plane. If someone called my house, I would be, a, or on <laughs> online, I would be a, a little concerned. So I I don't know that they're completely accurate. Well, if teenage boys wear a MAGA hat and look what happened to him, right? Who's going to answer? 
Exactly. Does, it, yeah. does, does this backfire, though? I mean, you've got an entirely secret process run only by only by Democrats. Nobody gets to see any of the material that they're looking at. Nobody gets to see the testimony. Nobody gets to see. It, and then they're going to come up with this thing. I mean, how, how does, does, does this hurt them in 2020? It hurts. It hurts them in 2020. And it hurts our country going forward in the future. The Constitution says that the House of Representatives shall have the sole authority for impeachment. It does not say that the Speaker of the House shall have the, sh the sole authority for yeah. impeachment. It also doesn't say that the rules of the House can override the Constitution. And that is what they're trying to say right now. Oh, we can set our own rules, so it doesn't matter. In every impeachment that we've had before this, there's been a vote on the floor of the House to begin the proceeding. And I think that Speaker Pelosi hasn't had a vote for one of two reasons. I, and I'll say it very quickly. It's either she doesn't have the votes or she doesn't want, she either doesn't have the votes or she doesn't want it to be on record how purely partisan this effort is. And she knows that there are some members of Congress who, if they voted for impeachment, they're in districts that President Trump carried and they likely would not be reelected. Well, the, the, the third reason, I think the other two are true, but is that she's lost control of her, her party, she's, her caucus, and she's got to play to the AOC uh, wing. And so she announced this before she knew anything, and now she's out there with no, no real effective lines of action. And it, the only way to get it done is just to do it the way she's doing it. Well, and to try to change public opinion. But w yeah. we're in a very dangerous situation right now because they very well, the way that they're going right now, members of Congress may not even see the evidence, and then they have a vote on the floor of the House without even seeing the evidence. That is a, it, it's wrong to happen to President Trump, but it's even more wrong for it to happen to any president, and it cannot be the precedent precedent going forward or anybody accused of any crime in america right we're not and, have secret tribunal and if you are actually a criminal who is under investigation there are rules that the investigate the people who are investigating have to follow we don't even know what the rules are right now it's like what happened with the irs it's not written down they're just kind of winging it to make it work to whatever advantage the people who are investigating want it to work towards okay i have an idea we're out of time yes that we're going to leave the chapter hanging here okay. where we don't know what's going to happen next. Why don't you come back sometime, you know, in the next whatever, when we get a little more clarity about this and we'll continue the conversation. And just for your Tea Party, people who are interested in the Tea Party, my, from a distance, it's about fairness and rule, same rules for everyone, same laws for everyone. That's the basis of it. I knew I married a radical. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyway, that's it for now. Uh, thanks for joining us on The Bill Walton Show, and we'll see you uh, on our next episode, and we're looking forward to having Jenny Beth Martin back in the future as well. Thank you. I'd love that. Thanks for listening. Want more? Be sure to subscribe at thebillwaltonshow.com or on iTunes.